You know, this morning I want to talk to you about uh, uh, what Jesus said about children. And, uh, you know, there's a, <clears throat> I believe this to be the appropriate uh, message to start with because uh, so much is being said and circulated uh, in the world that we live in today. And I think the church needs to be well informed and reminded. If you know, all of us need to be reminded what God has spoken through his son. Jesus said in Matthew 18, verses 5 through 6, anyone who welcomes me uh, or welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. But if you cause one of these little ones who trusts in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a millstone, a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Matthew 18.10, Jesus says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. You know, so this morning as we talk about this, there's really uh, two areas of focus, and uh, this very first part is going to be some introductory remarks, and then I'll let you know uh, when I'm uh, getting into my first point for the sake of slides here. But I'm going to share this as a preface because uh, the one thing I, I think is important to realize is that people are going to do and pe- people are going to say and people are going to do uh, what they do either based on their knowledge of the Lord or their ignorance of the Lord. You know, if you don't know the Lord, you know, we can tell people a million times what you're supposed to do and what God says, but until you really have some understanding of who Jesus is, that's foreign to you. You know, you, we can tell people a lot of things, but so as I speak this morning, I want to speak to the church, and this is really a message for the church more than uh, for anyone, so if you're in the building or online or wherever you may be, Uh, This is a message uh, for the church, and it's a message for families as well. You know, the following is to provide clarity for the sake of those within the faith uh, with regard to what the Scriptures reveal about children and parenting and relationships. This will possibly not be agreeable to everyone, and it is not the intention of this pastor to debate the issue with those who hold a differing Uh, point of view. It is my intention to present a very broad and brief message concerning the scriptural view of believers in Christ as to the stewardship of children from conception through adolescence. And it's important to know that God desires to bring children into healthy homes, healthy relationships, I'm not here to encourage or seeking to arm the church to prosecute those who live outside of the scriptures. And I want to say that again. It is not our calling to prosecute the sin of the world. That's not our calling. So we're not here to, uh, to let them have it. You know what I'm saying? That's not the key here to this message. It really isn't about that. So I'm not seeking to, uh, ar- uh, to encourage or to arm the church to prosecute those who live outside the Scriptures, uh, but for the sake of understanding. And because these issues are being addressed and spoken to within our community, to our children, 
uh, from different perspectives, I believe it's important that they hear from, the, from the God's perspective, from the biblical perspective. We are to love our neighbors as ourselves, and that can only be done in Christ. It's very difficult to love those who would otherwise be difficult or impossible for us to love if it weren't for the love of Christ in us. But because the Lord lives in us, he gives us the ability to love other people regardless of where they live, what they do, or who they are, because that's what Jesus does. We're, again, we're not here to prosecute the behaviors of others in the world, but we are here to present Christ as Savior and Lord. That's the most important thing uh, that we can convey to the world is that uh, Jesus Christ desires to bring redemption and salvation and abundant life to you. So as we are to live our lives, we are to live lives that reflect that mercy triumphs over judgment as it has in our own lives. How many would agree that mercy has triumphed over judgment in your life? And I am grateful to the Lord for that. So, you know, as we speak to these difficult issues, and they are difficult in this day for some to hear, and, 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 and there are many who will not go there. But I believe we have a responsibility to go there. The church has a responsibility to be the, the scriptural voice, the voice of God's word into our communities because if we, we are absent and we are silent, then families are going to suffer. Your children will pay the price. Your grandchildren will pay the price. Uh, they will become the victims of the absence and the silence of the church in matters of faith and conduct. You know, there are certain things that people have to be introduced to, and the one that is imperative is that Christ came to die for all people, uh, regardless of what their lifestyles are or what their living arrangements are. Jesus came to save everyone. We're not the select few whom God has targeted to redeem. My responsibility as a pastor is primarily uh, to those within the church, not meaning that we're not concerned about those outside of the church, but if those within the church are getting bad information and taking that out into the world, it's only going to complicate things and make it worse. And so it's important that the church here from a scriptural perspective and, and that from God's loving disposition and yet uh, his firm and established word... You know, the body of Christ has to be represented in the marketplace, in the political arenas, the school boards, in the classrooms, in the locker rooms, anywhere and everywhere where people gather and function, it's important for us to be there. And so as we speak to these things, they're very important, but understanding how the world will ever come to know what you and I have been drawn to in Christ and from the scriptures is that you and I live this life as salt and light out in a world in those places. So I referenced last week a politician who stood before the assembly of other politicians and said that he was going to share what, uh, with those politicians what Jesus had to say about uh, the lifestyles that we see today and the things that are happening. And as he said that, he stepped back from the mic and he stood there silently. And then he stood, stepped back to the platform and said, exactly that Jesus had nothing to say about these things. And, 
you know, as I heard that, it just grated on me severely because, you know, people are going to carry that kind of thing out with them, believing that Jesus is either absent or unconcerned or had nothing to say about the issues that we are living and facing in our world today, and that's not true. And I'm going to talk about that for a few moments because, you know, sometimes we think because certain things aren't mentioned by name in the scriptures that they're not being spoken to, and that could be, there's nothing, that that just shows a very shallow, superficial view of scripture. You know, it's somebody who does not have a real strong knowledge of Scripture or, or doesn't dive in deep enough to the context of Scripture to say, well, the Scriptures have nothing to say about this or Jesus had nothing to say, and therefore it wasn't an issue with him, and so it shouldn't be a concern of ours. That's not true. And so when we think about this today... Uh, You know, we think of the context of life that Jesus lived in in Palestine, the area, and much of what Jesus dealt with was not, there were very, there weren't great parallels between the things that we see happening currently in our world today with regard to marriage and family and all of these things. There have always been issues of infidelity. There have always been issues of uh, aberrant uh, behaviors, extramarital behaviors and conduct. That's always been present. But, you know, we, we didn't see you know, we understand that in Jesus' day where he was, this wasn't a, uh, this wasn't a, a, um, a pervasive behavior that needed to be a directed, directly spoken to because I believe if it did, it would have been. But I also understand that, you know, when Jesus spoke, he did speak about the one way that God created for families and marriages and families to be established. He identified the one. You know, that makes it pretty clear there that anything outside that one is something other than what God has given. And when you trace the relationship of the family as designed by God from the very beginning, God created a helpmeet or a partner for his created man, right? Because he needed to have a companion. It was not good for him to be alone. And so God... In his infinite knowledge, created a woman. Right? He didn't create another man. He created a woman. Because God intended to populate the earth. And he gave, he had blessed the man and the woman. And let me tell you, and we'll get into this in just a second. People say today, well, there's really no distinctions between a man and a woman other than their, 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 uh, their uh, anatomy. I want to tell you, that is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard since the last dumb thing I heard. <laughs> Men and women are vastly different and yet completely complementary with one another as, to, as per God's design. You know, so, you know, the fact that Jesus didn't say anything uh, about, uh, you know, some of the lifestyles that are being lived out today, you, you know, doesn't mean that he didn't address it because he did address it. He said, God created man and woman and the two became one, Right? And, you know, when you look back, 
uh, to, then you look, he was well aware of, of what took place in the beginning, right? When God created Adam and Eve, he was well aware of that. Jesus was, how many knew God, Jesus knew that he was aware of that. He was aware of the design of the father. He knew that God had created a man and a woman to come together in relationship. And God used that relationship to be the foundation for social, the fo- social development of the whole world. You know, so he was aware of that. And then later on, the Apostle Paul, when he's dealing with Rome and, and many of the uh, uh, populations that he dealt with in the epistles, you know, we had some pervasive issues that he spoke specifically to. And I'm going to tell you another argument that people use that I think is uh, another dumb thing is when they su- suggest that what Paul says doesn't carry the same authority as to what Jesus said. Now, I understand Jesus is on a, he is the king of kings and he's incomparably the Lord of lords. But Paul was, uh, see, Paul was not speaking of his own accord. It was the Holy Spirit speaking through him. So when the Holy Spirit spoke through Paul, he addressed the issues that were rampant in that culture. You know, Jesus didn't. Because it wasn't the same context, but it didn't mean that Jesus didn't speak to the issues of family and marriage because he set forth the only combination that God will accept because he created it. You know, and so when we we look at this and we think about it, you know, there, there are people who say that men and women really aren't different, so what's the big deal? No, they are vastly different. And again, it shows a very, very superficial view of people and the complexities of men and women. How many of you who are married to someone know that there are vast differences? Vast differences. Emotionally, physically, spiritually, there are vast differences. If they were the same, Jesus would have just created another of the same. But he created a woman to be that perfect, compatible partner to Adam in life. And that's God's design. So, you know, the thing is, I share that with you. This is, in, this is just a refresher. This is an encouragement to the church. Because I'm hearing a lot of Christians very confused today saying, what's the big deal? I got to tell you, I hear people say, love is love. I got to tell you, the only thing I can answer, that I wish to answer that with is something that my wife reminded me, and that is God is love. God is love. And God's character is manifest in his love, and his character is holy and pure. Love is not a, an impulse or a passion to be with another person. It's more than that. Love is a lot deeper than that. So, you know, I'm saying that for the sake of our church because, you know, it's easy to get consumed in this idea that it really doesn't matter. It does matter. It is the erosion of the whole culture. It's America's... You know, the Bible says righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. 
And, you know, we're afraid today to use that word, sin and sin. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. None of us are here because we were good. None of us had a resume that, uh, of, of life that God looked and said, I have to have you forget anything you've done because I don't care. No, we had to come by way of repentance and faith in Christ. Had to come that way. And so we're not here because we got it all together. We're, got, we're here because we've been redeemed by grace and we've seen what grace can do in a person's life and how it can change us. Now, as far as the unborn are concerned, you know, we know that Jesus loved children enough to say that if you offend one of them, that you should be, have a millstone uh, placed around your neck and thrown into the sea. If Jesus felt that strongly about children, I wouldn't believe that he felt any less for the unborn. Because if he knows you before you are formed in the womb, then he knows you and he loves you and he cares about you. So if Jesus was that strong about children being free to come to him and not being, uh, you know, we're, here's where the judgment's going to fall. And it's not us who prosecute anything, but we are corrupting children terribly. Jesus said, if you cause one of these little ones to stumble, it's better for you to have a millstone hung around your neck and thrown into the sea. So it's important for we as the church to know what it is we believe. So I'm going to move down here. It's no mystery that the Lord, uh, uh, that the Lord loves children. He says in Psalm, the, God says in Psalm 127.3, he says, Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring are uh, 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 a reward from him. They're precious to him. Children are precious to the Lord. They are given as a sacred trust to those who are to parent them. How many know that when you have a child, you've been given a sacred trust? Not an inconvenience. They have an, they have an ordained advocacy on their behalf as their angels uh, behold the face of God every day. I believe that God has assigned angels as Jesus has referenced to, to watch over those children and to care for them and to stand before God on their behalf. And as, that is, as the Lord is concerned for those children, and there's such a, a concern for children, even in heaven, we have got to love children with a pure love. We have to instruct them in the right way. Not our way, but God's way. God's word. You know, there, this is no time for cowardice. Come on, church. People say, oh, I can't believe you're going there. I'm going to tell you, I can't believe we haven't been there. You know, God's design is that these children will grow to become strong men and strong win, women without a confused gender perception that they will know who they are, who they've been created to be by God's design and serve his will for their lives. You know, they are known to God before conceived uh, and as their small bodies form, God is with them. You know, Jesus is not silent about children, nor should we be silent about them. There is a predatorial spirit 
that is seeking to destroy the generations as they come up. Isn't it interesting that Herod wanted to destroy Jesus? And I believe all those who were under the age of two, you know, based on the time that he had first heard, he he had all these children killed. Because before anything could be established, he wanted to root it out and to kill And you know, that's the enemy of our soul. His desire is to root out these children and to kill any of them spiritually or or in any other way he can before they're established in their faith and relationship with the Lord. Because God has purpose to do great things for these kids. How many know that these kids that are being taught, and I thank God for all of the teachers and all of those who are investing in the children here, that they are teaching future evangelists and pastors and missionaries and lay people who work in the secular world who are going to make a difference. How many will speak that over your children today? We need to speak that over them often, that they have an identity in Christ. They have a purpose from God. They are going to do great things for the kingdom of God. Jesus, uh, I thank God uh, for all of the champions who invest their lives in their children and in the children of others and who uh, impart to children the, the, the foundations of faith and relationship with the Lord. Thank God for those who are active in educating their children, providing them with the substance of the Christian profession of faith, a shelter and a level and a plumb line, a shield. Christ-exalting and spirit-filled doctors, lawyers, police officers, servants of justice and truth, those who walk in apostolic anointing and authority, those who serve as prophets, pastors, and evangelists and teachers, and within that stream and release, And that's what these kids are going to do. They're going to walk in their design callings. How many will accept nothing other than that? We are declaring that the children in this house today and those who are impacted by the children in this house are going to walk in right relationship with God. They are going to know who they are. They're going to know that they have been given divine purpose and they are going to serve a calling that God has placed on their lives before they were conceived. Jesus spoke up for children. He would not allow the foolishness of others to rob children of their blessing from him. We must speak up for the children in our day, for those born and for those still in the womb. The world is staking its claim over your children. The world is staking its claim to speak into their lives and to form them and to shape them into this perverse education. I got to tell you, I probably, I'm sure, if there's anybody who happens to, to stray online here, they may not like what I'm saying. And I want you to understand, I'm not here to be offensive, but I'm not going to be absent in cowardice because it's easier not to say anything than it is to say it. Because at one day when we stand before God, we will be responsible for what we have spoken from Him. We cannot prophesy lies. We cannot speak lies. We cannot walk in lies. We can't hold hands with the world. You know, I'm not going to stand before uh, politicians. I'm not going to stand before my peers. I'm going to stand before God Almighty who had a purpose for my life before I was conceived. And as he called, I, I desire to walk in that and know it as you do. 
We must speak up for the children of our day. By the way we live, we need to love and nurture those that we have in our lives. With all we can, we need to nurture them and love them and share Jesus with them in a relational, instructional way, intentional, intentionality. We've got to speak to them from a child. You have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise through faith, able to make you wise unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul said to Timothy from a child, those early years, those formative years. How many say we are taking possession of those formative years that, and we are not relinquishing them, we are not turning them over to the world because God has given our children to us as stewards and we are stewards of them. I'm almost done. I know there's spaghetti cooking. We are not adversaries with those in the world. I don't want to walk around and see others as adversaries because I don't, I don't. I don't look at people and say, well, you don't live like I live. You don't believe what I believe. And so I can't be your friend and I can't talk to you because, you know, that's not what Jesus did. Amen? Jesus loved people, and we have to love people. We don't, you see, this is a hard word, but I'm speaking it to the church today because, you know, I'm concerned. I hear more and more people say, well, these are just tough issues, and there's no real answer, and that's not true. That's not true. The Word of God supplies the answers for us. We are not adversaries, but we are unrelenting advocates for those Uh, of whom we are charged to love, to nourish, and to nurture. The spirit of the world without God is evil and predatory, hateful, and murderous. We are not attacking people, but we are attacking what the Apostle Paul referred to. He says, for though we live in the world, 2 Corinthians 10, uh, we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Amen? Amen. uh, And we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. We are uh, those called to stand in the breaches that make that would make our children vulnerable. The family. God created Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, to pr- and he gave them the charge to populate the earth. He placed a paternal influence in the lives of Adam and Eve's children, and he placed a maternal influence. Jesus said, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. And he references in the scripture what was mentioned Also in Genesis chapter 1 where it says, In the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the earth. Jesus said in Matthew 19, 4, he said, Have you not read? that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. 
so they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. You understand that's a very clear statement as to what marriage is to be. Jesus' reference is what God said in the beginning, and he speaks it again, that God created a man and a woman to be joined together in matrimony and to populate the earth. You understand that the only way to naturally populate the earth can be accomplished through one man and one woman. Only way it can be done. One man and one woman. The, the welcoming committee begins with the father and the mother. The welcoming committee begins with the father and the mother. You know, the first loving faces that a child needs to see are father and mother. And I understand that there are sometimes single parents who don't choose to go that path, but things don't work out as they should have. And somebody either abandons or life deals a very difficult, you know, there, there has to be a sensitivity to minister to old people. But I'm talking about God's design here from the beginning. The nurturing process begins at the moment of realization that one is with child. It is a natural uh, affection that, has been, that we've been endowed with and wired. There may be many unplanned events in the life of the parent-child relationship, but no child should be regarded as a mistake or an inconvenience. God is gracious when, and, and when we fail, he reaches out to us with truth and grace. On the other hand, reckless and irreverent acts reserved for the marital bed often result in pregnancies and at times that which two people, uh, uh, two people take, uh, they, they, they uh, assume the responsibilities for uh, conceiving a child together. Now, that's not universal, and we don't stereotype people. There are tragic situations in life where, you know, we read about a 10-year-old being raped or, you know, we see these things that happen in life, and there are complexities and challenging situations, so we don't make a broad... But what I am saying is whether you're a married couple or you're someone who outside the context, either way, outside the context of marriage or having relations and you know there's a possibility that you have a child, you have to, you know, people always say, I don't know how it happened. That's, the, that's another dumb thing, right? I mean, I just don't know how it happened. I wasn't ready for this. I don't know, don't know how it happened. I want to tell you, uh, I'm not going to explain it to you, but it, it is very apparent that, you know, you, you, there were two people involved in it. Among all that God did, this was the crowning moment of creation when God created male and female in his image and he endowed them with the ability and the natural affections necessary to conceive and to parent their children. Conception requires the mechanisms and the material from a male and female by God's design. You know, I want to say XXXY, you know, people say it's only one, one, one um, whatever, chromosome, you know, there's only one difference, so there's no difference. I want to tell you that's not true. And there's a lot of scientific proof for that too, but I'm not, I'm not uh, ready, equipped to go into all of that, and you don't want to be here till next week. But there, you know, there, some, some scientists have concluded that there are 6,500 genetic differences between men and women. So when somebody says the only difference is, you know, the kind of equipment you're, 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 you're built with is that that's the only difference. That's not true. Because if you reduce it to that, that's when people can say, well, you can become, you can become this or you can become that. 
All you have to do is alter your equipment. There is a lot more to it than that. How many know there's a lot more to it? When you're looking at your wife, man, you're not looking with a wife who's all, almost exactly like you are, only missing something. If that's the case, I'm sleeping in the other room tonight. You forgive me, Ron? I know that's not true. I mean, it's, like, it's a collaboration. Was that okay? Was that bad? No bad? It's a collaboration. It's fruitfulness and influence cannot be replicated. Let me just say, and we're going to finish here, I promise. Ephesians 6, 4 says, bring them up in the training and instruction of the word. You know, mothers and fathers parent differently. And that's good because, you know, sometimes a child needs to hear from mom and sometimes a parent needs to hear from dad and sometimes they need to hear from both. Different is good. It it, it maintains a God-given balance. I want you to hear, here's a quote that somebody said. I thought it was really good. He said, we should disavow the notion that mummies can make good daddies. Just as we should disavow the popular notion of others that daddies can make good mommies. The two sexes are different to the core and each is necessary culturally and biologically for the optimal development of a human being. Drawing from his own experience, and these are two quotes from President Obama one of them was on uh, fathers, uh, about the importance of fathers, and the other one was actually spoken on Father's Day 2009. This is not, you know, I, I'm not asking you to politicize the statement here. Just hear what is said. He says, in many ways, I came to understand the importance of fatherhood through its absence, both in my life and in the lives of others. I came to understand that the hole a man leaves when he abandons his responsibility to his children is one that no government can fill. We can do everything possible to provide good jobs and good schools and safe streets for our kids, but it will never be enough to fully make up the difference. And then he says, uh, and on another occasion, he says, we know the statistics that children who grow up without a father are five times more likely to live in poverty and commit crime, nine times more likely to drop out of schools, and 20 times more likely to end up in prison. And he goes on and he cites other things, and certainly that's not true of everyone, and there are some parents who are single parents who are champions to their kids. But I think every single parent will, let, will obviously tell you if they're a woman that they, they are not able to be a man. And if they're a man, they're able to say, I'm not able to be a woman. But God, he partners with me in raising these children and he helps me. Aren't you glad for that? I'm going to ask Tammy if you'd come. That gives people hope. Uh, I was going to cite all kinds of differences between men and women. We'll do that another time. But children are nurtured from the unique gifting and that are introduced through the maternal nature of a mother and the paternal nature of a father. You know, when God created men and women, he said something at the conclusion of that, of that creation. He said, it, and he saw it, and it was good. It was good. That means that God approved of the design. 
He signed off on the design. This is the design that is to be in place for the history of mankind. It wasn't just good. It was perfect. It was excellent creation by God. How many know God doesn't make something almost perfect? No flaws. When God saves you, he doesn't make any flaws in his redemptive work. We are made children of God. That's beautiful. You know, we pray to God and Jesus said, Our Father who art in heaven, God has such a strong paternal inclination and desire for his children. You have to know how much he values the role of parenting and the trust that fathers carry and the trust that mothers carry. It was purposed by God that every child should be shown paternal and maternal love and to be nurtured. You know, we've had opportunities in the years we've pastored to to provide some male and female influences into the lives of children who didn't have that balance. And that's always a wonderful thing. You know, God wants everybody to know that they are loved and they're meaningful and they're purposeful. They're not throwaway. They're not a nuisance. They're not a problem. They're not an inconvenience. Can you think about children? Uh, I was watching a video by, about a, uh, with a doctor who was, uh, he was a pediatric doctor, a pediatrician, but he was also, he also performed abortions. That's going to be a terrible balance, right? And he said, and he said he had, I don't know, hundreds of abortions that he performed. And he said, you know, I take issue with uh, those who say that these unborn children don't feel any of this. He says, I would invite you to, to, to envision with me, he says, as we take the instruments and we grab hold of a leg. And he says, and we jerk and we twist that leg until we can rip it off. And he says, and then we take the instrument in and he says, we do the same with the other leg. And he says, and you can see, it's obvious that the the baby's in distress. And he says, and then we do the same thing with the arm. And then we do the same thing with the other arm. And he says, the very last thing that we pull out is the head. And we hold that, we pull that head out of a baby that was very much alive. You know, I had somebody just tell me the other day, this is a, this is a difficult topic and we're never going to agree on this. I'm going to tell you, it doesn't matter if you agree with me. We got to know what God's word says as believers. Your kids need to know this. They need to know that God designed men and women to be together to make children as husband and wife. And he did so within the context of marriage. There is a marriage bed that is not to be defiled. One man and one woman together as husband and wife. I close here thinking about the natural affections that God has given us. He's wired us for. You say, this has been too graphic. You know, sometimes we like to just see life through rose-colored glasses. That's really not that way. It really is. How many know that? It's not that way. 
It's in the last days, and I know people seize upon that last days as meaning something much broader than the context of the very last days, but it does state something that is undeniable. It says that men shall be without natural affection. And, you know, the word natural affection is, uh, is two words combined for love. And it refers to the natural love that members of the same family have for each other. And, you know, when you think about the natural affections that a man and a woman should have together as husband and wife, or as even if you're not married, have for that developing child, the welcome committee should be the parents, should be mom and dad. The first faces that that infant should see, other than the doctors who might get in the way of your camera shot, uh, should be mom and dad. That's who they should see. They should be welcome. And unfortunately, there are so many children who are not welcomed by father and mother. And in fact, they're not even wanted. They are an, they are an inconvenience. They are a mistake. Church, we, we have to rise up in a love that's greater than all of the politicization of all these topics. Because you can't legalize something that God has spoken otherwise against. And so we don't have to worry as much about that, but we've got to stand in the scriptures and let kids know, family, the ones that we have here at Bethel, we've got to pour into them because you know what? The the devil's waiting on the doorstep for them to take their steps out into the world. I'm going to ask you if you'd stand with me. When children are neglected and regretted and when the primary value attached to them is how they benefit us, when they become pawns for our cause, when we allow them to be educated, corrupted, and overwhelmed by what cannot presently understand grace and truth, the road is going to be a treacherous one. As I think about this today, we just had, and these are examples, they have them everywhere. You hear about them once in a while, but we had a few teenagers who beat a 73-year-old man to death in Philadelphia. And you real and you know we talk about 10-year-olds. It was a 10-year-old. One of them was a 10-year-old. And I believe the other one was 14. And they beat this man to death. They took the cones off the street and they beat him over the head until he died. In Oregon, we had an 82-year-old man and an 89-year-old man who were together standing at the, at, the, uh, at the terminal. And they were both assaulted by a man who beat the one man to death and beat the other one severely for no reason whatsoever. You see, this is what the world creates when you move away from God. When God is pushed out of the, the center position and the world allows itself to govern how life is to be apart from God. This is what you produce. I got my outlines, and God forgive me. Anyhow, this morning as we pray, I'm not here to be, we don't rush out of here and go confront uh, those who are living, you know, a different lifestyle. We don't run out to get in people's faces. We don't condescend to people. We're not hateful to people. And really we have to be on our knees enough that our hearts are conditioned 
that we might be ready to engage people where they are and where they live. But for the church, we have to know. We have to know that Jesus did speak about marriage and he did speak about the value of children. I wanted to read these scriptures to you and I almost forgot. And don't say it's not another sermon, I promise, but I want to read these to you. You know, sometimes people say a, a child is just a, a clump of material. He's not, not really viable. He's nothing or she's nothing. And they don't call them he or she, it's just it. I know it takes a while to identify sex, but, you know, we do have God's formation of a person regardless. God speaking about John the Baptist, it says, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Luke 141 says, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Jeremiah 1.5 says, before I was for, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you before you were born. I set you apart. God had a plan for every aborted child. He had a purpose for every discarded life. And he wants parents who are making those decisions to know there's a better way and there's a savior. And we can influence that. We need to be out there among people who are struggling and don't know what to do, don't know how to respond to things that they weren't prepared for. We need to be out there. That's where this faith goes. It doesn't stay in the church. It's got to get outside. And last of all, Psalm 139, 13 through 17 says... For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are the thoughts of God. How vast are the sum of them. You know, God loves children. He loves the born and the unborn. He loves people who are struggling through life and making decisions. Uh, And he wants them to know that he will provide them with the counsel. He'll redeem life out of the pit. He will take us out of that hard place. And he'll bring our feet and put them on solid foundation. You're an ambassador of grace and truth. You need to be out and I need to be out living this in the streets. Coming alongside of people who are are, uh, being influenced. and, and, And they're in that stage of life where they're making decisions that are hard decisions. And we need to be out there among them and speaking words of life and loving them unconditionally. We are not in a position to prosecute the sin of the world. That's not our calling. But we are responsible for housekeeping within God's church. And so we
restoration when we need Haley, would you lead us? And I'm going to hush. But I want to ask you this morning. We ask the Lord to baptize you with a, with a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Because church, it's not just something that would be good to have. I want to tell you, you're going to need it. You're going to need to be so full of the Holy Spirit as you walk forward. Because every demon of hell is coming out in confrontation against every value of God, every truth of God is under assault today. And I'm going to tell you, unless you are so full of God's love, so full of His Holy Spirit, so full of His Word, you're you're going to have a very difficult time. God, give us what we need. We're not perfect. We have all sinned. We have all failed. Lord God, even today we we sin and we make mistakes and we, Lord, commit transgressions. But Lord, we won't be ruled by that sin nature that you delivered us out from under. We walk in that freedom and in that grace. And our desire is that others know. For those who are watching online, Lord, I pray that, Lord, the Holy Spirit will reach into those homes and, Lord, just pull people into your your bosom, Lord God, to love them and hold them and keep them strong. And, Lord, when their legs begin to waver and their, 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 um, their convictions are under assault, I pray, Father, that you will strengthen them in the framework of your love and your Lord, I pray for anyone that doesn't know Jesus today. Being a Christian is never simply about church. It's never simply about religion. It's about a personal relationship with a God who says, I don't care what mistakes you've made. I'll clean you up and I'll make you whole. I I, I don't care what the stigma is that you've walked with because I'm going to set you free from it. I don't care if you feel like you're confused as to who you are and why you're here. And I don't care if you're, you're, I do care about you and I care about your life, but I I don't care in the sense that I'm never gonna let you go from that because he releases you, he releases you. The Lord God Almighty wants to release people from the bondage and the the weights and, and the things that have caused us such grief and despair and and sin that Lord has tripped us up and caused us to falter Lord forgive us of our sins wash our hearts clean more than anything Lord we want to know Jesus and Jesus will tutor us he will guide us into truth so the things that we don't currently understand and we're finding it difficult to embrace Lord God your Holy Spirit is a wonderful counsel he, counselor, he is a wonderful guide, and God is long-suffering and patient, and he'll be with us as the children of God to help us move forward and to grow. Hallelujah. Tammy, would you Thank you for listening. You can find us online at BethelAG.com or on Facebook at Bethel Assembly of God, Littlestown, Pennsylvania. Our services are also live-streamed every Sunday on our YouTube channel, Bethel AG, Littlestown, Pennsylvania.